0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Agnes DeMille hired dancers who act. Mm-hmm. She did. And she also hired uh, men and women who didn't have the uh, stereotypic dancer body. Mm. They weren't heavy, but the women did have
2: they were, shapes. They I had some shape
0: and the men were not all tall and lanky and what they they had and they all were astounding dancers but they looked like people
2: Welcome everybody to a musical theater podcast where we discuss the cultural and emotional impact of some of our favorite musicals in theater history. My name is Jeffrey Scott Parsons, you can call me Jeff. Today we are discussing the musical Brigadoon with someone, and this is me casually dropping the mic here, who was Tony nominated for it? Yes, as Fiona McLaren, she was Tony-nominated for Best Performance by a Leading Actress in a Musical. She has an upcoming performance on September 6th at 54 Below as part of the all-star lineup for Charles Kirsch's Backstage Babble Live, who, by the way, is a fellow podcaster. She's also an amazing educator. I'm so thrilled she's here. Everyone, please welcome Meg Bussert.
0: Thank Yay. you, Jeff. It's good to be here. I do May. have to have one caveat here. Um I was Please. I was Fiona in the 1980 Revival. <laughs> Not the just 19- in case anybody 1947 thought. original. Just, just that did okay, come is, up a few times. That is
2: that is a fair <laughs> clarification. I mean that would just be full miracle. If you were in if you were in the 47 production, then that means you went into Brigadoon. And this is the one day where you have come back.
0: Yes! Um,
2: (laughs) But uh, yes, thank you for the clarification. The 1980s revival, um, which is... Thanks to you, I, I did not know this is all on YouTube, and it's really a, a lovely recording. I don't know who snuck their camera into that theater, but yeah, it looks great. and
0: and it's been there for a while. I think it's there because it's a part of history because it was never recorded in any other fashion, and it really captures the Agnes de Mille choreography, which is stunning. Yes, and I absolutely. think that's the reason. It's a it's a it's a research thing, kind of. Um, it's yeah.
2: Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. It's such a great tool, and. Um, uh, window into our history anyway thank you so much for coming on it's it's really such a, an honor for me we've covered a, a couple of learner and low shows on the podcast camelot my fair lady and i highly recommend our listeners to go back and listen to those if they haven't but this is the first time we're covering an L with someone who performed them on the broadway and perhaps knew them i i'm not sure mm-hmm.
0: Can,
2: yeah mm-hmm. so Tell me, tell me about your relationship with Lerner and Lowe and how Brigadoon came along.
0: So mostly with Alan J. Lerner, um, my equity card came into my life uh, when I uh, ran away from the Midwest. I was something like four points shy of my degree, but ran out of money, ran out of money. And I came to New York to be the next Julie Andrews, you know, but that was the plan.
2: I Uh, mean, congratulations, because... I would say success.
0: Yeah, so I, I actually went back and got several degrees later. You know, Oh, second. wow. Yeah, yeah, I finished and got went on. But that's why I ended up teaching at NYU. Anyway, uh, sure. yes, yeah, so my equity card came with that wonderful show, Lolita, My Love, which is a oh, musical version, John it. Barry and Alan J. Lerner musicalizing Nabokov's Lolita. Perfect, isn't it? Perfect. perfect I
2: mean, musical. why on earth would we want to see a, a, a musical about teenage rape? But so like, I honestly, was,
0: I was 21. Uh, I, I got in the chorus and in those days it was it was very strong uh, chorus, you know, uh, singers and dancers. You know, you didn't sure. do uh, one other thing, you stayed in your little thing. But um, it was I learned so much and um, we had two horrible out of town tryouts and then they came back and rewrote and tried to do it. It, it failed. And it shouldn't. Uh, But uh, we were in uh, either Boston or uh, Philadelphia, the two big tryout towns. And Mm -hmm. there was a place called the Variety Club, which stayed open for singers and dancers. Anybody doing a show in these wonderful tryout towns. It was catered to the theater people. So there might be two or three shows trying out at the same time. Anyway, Alan would go, and so would John Barry, and they would sit there. And they were very approachable. We would sit there, you know, and um, I mean, we were all... That. And
2: of course, uh, you know, royalty. I grew
0: up listening to all the vinyls and I knew all the things. And I think I had you know, done a really terrible production of Brigadoon in high school, I'm sure, because I had stories we, to talk. Anyway, he would sit We might there. have that
2: in common. Continue.
0: <laughs> he would tell stuff. He would tell stories and, and uh, remind me because I have something he told me specifically about and I had a brigadier question just because I had oh. this question. He answered me and it was a, an astounding informative thing that happened later so anyway i knew him wow. from uh that the next thing i encountered him in was the brigadoon and then um i did camelot a year later uh and, and worked with him on that, that was
2: just a year later because yeah. a it year was and a, a half
0: later it was something like that
2: with richard harris yeah. right
0: mm-hmm. uh-huh. and um then i did a pbs salute to alan jill and i came on and sang the song brigadoon with richard white so those are like four. oh and then there was this backers audition for um Teddy and Alice, which was... Uh, yes. Yes, and Alan was kind of um, producing that kind of quietly. We did three years of the Backer's Audition. Brilliant music written to uh, jo- um, Susa, John Philip Sousa. John Philip Sousa. Borrowed from that. And uh, it was musically so much fun. It by the time they capitalized it, they decided I was too old to play Alice. So they hired someone else and it flopped. And I was so sad. So um, <laughs> they um, they then decided to record it. And they called me to come in and sing. Because nobody Not saw me. Not too old they to sing. Saw,
2: yeah. So
0: anyway. Um, but the, Go you know, figure. So I, I got to know him in, in, on, a, on a nice personal, just a, he was a brilliant man. He The way he could handle lyrics has always astounded me, um, listening to how uh, the many levels that he would write for. And he was always very generous. You couldn't, like, not do it right. You know, if, mm. if you had a different take, uh, you might get a little note. I think you should try this. or I really appreciated that. And uh, when he would come in and check on the show, I would always get a note back. Meg, I can understand every word. And I was like, you know, so they, he was uh, very, you know, generous. one of the few really brilliant, brilliant, uh, comp- we have a lot of composers, but he was, like, up there at a time... You know with Lorenz Hart and, and all of them. Cole Porter and they all yeah. knew each other they all worked together they all respected each other so it was truly a community of creatives.
2: Wow and I mean at this point Frederick Lowe like didn't have much to do with him anymore right?
0: Right um yes uh, he he did I think he was on top of it a little bit there was um for doing particularly uh there was going to be a, a bit of rewriting And that, of course, he was also the librettist. And so uh, when Vivian Madelon came in, Vivian being the Meisner director, director, uh, had so many questions as to some of the buildups and, uh, you know, some of the, the storytelling aspects that the storytelling was a little bit different. It was it was beginning to be brilliant. Um, it was brilliant in the forties, but uh, you know, compared to where it went, those were yeah, the beginnings. The
2: art form, how it had evolved for. And sure. so
0: Vivian coming at it twenty years later is going, you know, this could be better, you know, and so actually uh, Alan did give him permission. When he made some changes, it was kind of understood that Alan didn't like it, but it mm. was okay. Do you know what I mean? He was gonna let mm. it go because he understood a new, new a new look at it. Yeah. He yeah. was he was open enough for that, but it was it was interesting because the day he came to, sh- to see the show, we were he came back to, to talk to all of us, and we were, does he like it? Does he like it? And we're right.
2: Like, we don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Poker
0: he, he never told us.
2: <laughs> interesting. <laughs> interesting. How cool! I find this period of musical theater really interesting, the early '80s, specifically with revivals, because it seems like we were all trying to grapple with our sense of history and what was really popular in Broadway's heyday, and how does that apply to a new audience? Do we just present it exactly as it was before to try and capture that magic? Do we revive it in a revisal sort of way? It really is the transitionary period between let's just do pajama game like we've always done pajama game, and in the 90s when we really start seeing true Revisions at, at musicals.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. The questions started coming up in the 70s, and the other thing that was going on was the youth musical, the you know the, the rock musical, and, sure. and the traditionalists were like shocked. You know, what it, what it, the kids loved it. You know, I mean, we all loved it. We yeah. thought it was great fun, and we did think that when we were doing a revival, it was a bit old fashioned. You know, but you know, it was kind of can't beat some of that singing if you were you know storytelling maybe wasn't as deep as you might have wanted it but it was there so it was there mm-hmm. to be discovered And then you could say some of the more contemporary pieces at the time were not actually brilliant stories either but they were a mm. reflection of the enthusiasm and the, and the other look the, the new look that's
2: perhaps, a that's a really that good book. point. It's, it's more emotional than maybe plot heavy or plot driven right. mm-hmm. you
0: was know. that one Hamlet? Rockabye Hamlet. That was by oh, Hamlet. Actor. I'm a big uh, Shakespearean maven. Uh, you know, I, I discovered oh Shakespeare gosh, seventh grade, and I think that's one of the reasons why, as, as an actor-singer, I was always more interested in the words than the music. You know, when I went to teach in college, I was not teaching voice; I was teaching acting,
2: mm-hmm. and, and
0: acting without song, um, mm-hmm. because I, I thought I knew that you know young acting singers needed to understand acting and needed to be able to to what an actor actor does into yeah. the complications of music and dance and, um, and
2: interpreting the text within all of that yeah that's and shakespeare cool. kind beautiful.
0: of did it he sort of wrote it you know he wrote it. and if you can handle a speech of shakespeare you can handle a musical
2: song that's that is a great quote i'm stealing it, <laughs> it i have a little workshop maker, well, that
0: i could give you <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> i do i put that together yes yes
2: that would, that would that would be incredible. <laughs>
0: it's working on um, a Shakespeare monologue and then taking uh one of you know, a solo Shakespeare song.
2: Oh sure. Yeah,
0: the structure and the the argument. Like Ooh. will he like me when we meet? Oh that's a great one <sighs> with a Shakespeare monologue. Or could be, who knows, there's something due any day, another great one. Shakespeare.
2: I just got chills. We mentioned She Loves Me, everybody. <laughs> Hey, listeners, have you tried Factor yet? Remember Factor meals? They were supposed to send me a box to try out, but they don't ship to Hawaii, so now I'm stuck with my Taco Bell. And now it's up to you. It's up to you to try it and let me know how it is because it's May and we can't eat like it's the holidays anymore. We're trying to get our summer bodies together and Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, You'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting food. You can choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat. Whatever you want, it's here. Head to factormeals.com musicaltheater50, that's musicaltheater with an E-R, and use code musicaltheater50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code Musical Theater 50 at FactorMeals.com slash Musical 50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. All right. So Brigadoon, I know we haven't covered Oklahoma yet on the on the podcast, which seems crazy, but there are just some monumental shows that I want to save for the future. And that's one of them. But Brigadoon is, I feel like, really, really proof of just how monumental Oklahoma was. Mm -hmm. Uh, Lerner and Lowe had written three shows prior to Brigadoon. The first closed before it ever got to Broadway. The second and third were met with okay success, but I couldn't tell you a thing about them. And then Oklahoma hits and it's almost like, being in love, no, just kidding. It, it's almost like they unlocked the secret to what would become musical theater. Oh, and, yes. and I know this is when people start throwing around subgenres like musical play and musical comedy, but but for the sake of this podcast, I'm just calling it musical theater. Anyway, so Learner and Lowe aren't stupid. They see what works about Oklahoma and apply it to what they bring to the art form. And that's kind of the birth of Brigadoon. Mm-hmm. So what do you think some of their hallmarks are having lived in, in both Camelot in and Lerner-Low? Brigadoon? Um,
0: mm-hmm. uh, their uh, Learner especially was fascinated with other than this time and other than this place. Um, so so um, Brigadoon actually comes from, I believe, a, a German uh, legend. Hmm. It might be even the Celtic Germania, whatever it was. You know, the, there was yeah, a Celtic a, thing. A lot people of people Northern... connected with Irish and Scottish, but it was it was all over Northern
2: Europe, uh, yeah. Europe.
0: So anyway, this was one of those stories, and you know, if you look at the story of Brigadoon, which is this town goes to sleep for a hundred years and wakes up and lives one day, but uh, uh, in in its time, which would have been. In the, in, uh It would have been, you know, 1747. Mm. The priest or the minister of the town uh, is being overrun by demons, creatures of evil, and they're going to uh, do in the town. Yeah. they are going to take them over, enslave them, or annihilate them. Something bad is going to happen, and it's not identified. But in but in order to save the town, the minister has to make a deal with God, and he just simply says take me on yours and uh, free my people or whatever, uh, protect
2: them. Save us, okay. yeah.
0: So uh, so that, you know, we can connect that to a lot of stories we know, but that's what happens. So the minister goes off into the mountains and hills, disappears. Brigadoon is under a spell. It goes to sleep for 100 years. It wakes up again, I guess, in 1847. Yeah. And then it goes but to sleep. But it's, it
2: kind of, it's still operating in this other time.
0: Yes, it's only two days later. And uh, so that's that's the premise of it. So um, Camelot's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Camelot is a legend. Mm-hmm. Um, some of it's true, some of it's not. A lot of it is, you know, so, but, but you're dealing again with, uh, you know, the fairies and the Celtic kind of, the magic and the mystery, which was terribly important. Uh, you know, and in Lady, you're dealing with the transformation, you know, and, uh, you know, but they're all, they challenge your imagination, all of the stories. Yes, and, that's why that I love get that. Some, Something that they really captured, uh, and, and that's that's a lot of Mr. Learner. He's just in there, anyway. Wow. So that's that's Learner and Lerner.
2: Where do you? Because th- uh, I never had a conversation with with Mr. Lerner, Where does his prose come from? He's so <laughs> he's so famous for these types of songs, that, like um, "There But for You Go I," or "I've Grown Accustomed to Her Face," or "On the Street Where You Like These." Lyrics that I feel like no one else could write except for him. Um, mm-hmm. Is there a formality to his and and a, a poetry that is very specifically his?
0: I think his his love of words, his love of um, Anglophile. You know, I'm sure Shakespeare and Gilbert and Sullivan had a lot to do with a lot of the mm. cleverness of what he did. But I think the the songs express a deep human emotion, and he allows his characters to really get pissed if the actor singers will will do that um, mm. because uh, I've grown accustomed to her face, which is a lovely sweet song, starts with damn, 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 damn. <laughs>
2: exactly. Okay, <You> know, <laughs> Where do we and, go from uh, there?
0: <laughs> yeah, and uh, there but where you go I starts with Fiona. Uh, and, and the way it was originally done, you know, did you know Tommy that you're all I'm living for? Very sweet, very whatever. And then we decided through Vivian's working that she's pissed. Mm. She's finally found someone uh and and he's gonna go how dare you so we they actually changed the orchestration and like give me a little ton you know just wow just
2: giving him. you yeah wow.
0: and that gave him i mean it was there it just, that wasn't how they presented it in, you know 47 probably did front of screaming sure. i don't know but i didn't mind The uh, you know and that pushes Tommy into no 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 um, I will never forget you because I was lost I was on the verge of committing suicide I was whatever I was not going to be able to live I don't know what's facing me when I go home but I know I can't stay here Wow and that's all he's saying but all of those songs have you know in in Dune when she comes out where are the simple joys of maidenhood
2: Yeah in Camelot where's the
0: knight's killing me Where's the knight pining so for me He leaps to death I mean every girl should have that. You know, and, and it's so brilliant. You know, she's 15 years old. She's had, she's been so closed up, protected. He gives voice or he gives words to the marvelous human imagination. And yes, I think in many, maybe that was one of the things that got me cast is because I, I never came in as a, a blonde, little soprano.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I always came in with, I'm the oldest of seven children and I came in with
1: that.
2: Mm-hmm. I, mean, I am
0: truly the, I mean, there was a lot of noise in my family and, um, uh, you know, we were all good people, but boy, we could be noisy with it. And I think that, you know, that works well for so many of you, those women written in the 40s and 50s. They were very strong women. But, um,
2: well, I got to give you a compliment because I watched the, your performance. And first of all, you sound glorious. Like, it just sounds like that's where you live. Like, walking around in comfy house slippers in this uh, soprano role. And then you do have this strength. That is so important, I think, for younger generations to see that singing a a soprano role does not mean not being strong or or singing beautifully does not mean that you are apologetic for your stage presence. It really is kind of a masterclass. So thank you. you.
0: But it's also in singing, singing the old song, the old shows Mm -hmm. (laughs) doesn't mean you're you're any less strong. You know, the, uh, when I was teaching, that my students constantly, oh, one of the old things. And I said, yeah, okay, so show me what's inside one what of the old things. Do it. Mm-hmm. You know, and then, really? I can do that? Yeah, you can do that. Yeah. So it's um, it's terribly important to, um, again, it's it's an after thing. And both Vivian and, and when, especially when I was working on Camelot with, with Harris, because he wasn't the easiest person, shall we say, <laughs> um, I I was far too energetic for him because I was American. I was basically American and he he wanted something else. But I think it was, we were told by others that it was our frustration made it work. You know what I mean? Oh,
2: totally. Yeah. 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 I mean, at least you had some sort of fire.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't, we disliked each other, but we just, I could see I was frustrating him and I just wasn't going to (laughs) change. So um, nothing more in a a nice way. (laughs) But so uh, I learned from those shows, I think, a lot about um, uh, the the energy that's inside that doesn't have to come out. Because as you can see from, well, we're talking now and you're looking at me being a little energetic when I talk. That comes out in all of my work initially. And then you find how you can put that inside. I, I did a lot of work studying the Michael Chekhov work approach to acting and he's very physical and uh imaginative and one of the tools is the psychological gesture where you work out you know the gesture what you really want to do physically with the material and then you put it all inside which is something actors do all the time Oof. so i was sitting on top of all of my energy and it literally drove me crazy initially and i would always be getting yes that's it yes that's it I said, but i'm going to go explode. that's good that, and you should, but don't.
2: That's captivating. You know? yeah.
0: <laughs> so the audience reads that; they read that uh, dynamism within you, and they interpret it in the story. They don't interpret it as, "Oh, Meg's going crazy today." Right. Uh, she really wants to jump and scream. They say, "Oh, Marion's really upset about the situation. Guinevere's you know, about to explode, or you know, whatever the character might be." They interpret it within the story.
2: This is so cool. I. I love when episodes surprise me and I hadn't expected this tie to to almost the classical nature of th- this show, which is surprising because I do feel like this is a, a, a piece of classical musical theater, but um, what what a beautiful opportunity for us to see how much is inside these older pieces.
0: Oh, it's, it's stunning. And here's yeah. a line and I think that's what, you know, Hammerstein learned from his father. Hammerstein did all this stuff. Hammerstein uh, taught Sand- Sondheim. Sondheim right. taught and manuel Miranda. I mean, theres we can go and find so many links that, uh, you know, its you do pass on. You do pass things on. And whether you want to do it or not, you have to recognize the art and the craft.
2: It's a beautiful line. And the more I do this show, the more I'm just so grateful for it. Hmm. So now going back to, to Oklahoma's influence on Brigadoon, and we've got like the the serious romantic relationship between Fiona and Tommy. We'll also talk about the secondary one, which is kind of the Will Parker or right? O'Annie oh, Annie uh, plotline. And, um, but maybe most literally, <laughs> the thing that Lerner and Lowe took from Oklahoma was Agnes DeMille, who was the choreographer and maybe the reason Oklahoma was so groundbreaking, because the, this choreography that bridged the dramatic uh, narrative with the music, with the acting. I mean, it, you can't overstate it. And she is also who originally staged Brigadoon and the revival that you did. So talk to me about Miss DeMille. Cause, and and was she, how was she health wise at this point?
0: She was about 72. She walked on a, she had a walker. a lot of injuries with her dancing days and, gays and sure. stuff. But she was so sharp uh, and she wow. was amazing. Uh, the dancers, of course, um, rehearsed separately from us. So when they came in to show their stuff, mm-hmm. we were all like, uh, Ms. Demille walked into the room and everybody got quiet. Yeah, everybody got reverent. To and watched, you know, and it was. You know, I vowed at that time that when I was growing older, got to her age, I wanted to be eccentric. And I wanted everyone to be quiet when I walked in the room. No, that didn't happen, but I did,
2: um, <laughs> the, exen- did the eccentric eccentric Yeah, that happened, I
0: think. Yeah, that's Yeah, good point. Um, but she, uh, in Oklahoma, I think, uh, and, and Hammerstein wasn't thrilled with her work in the show actually. He, really? Um, yeah. Uh, first time he saw the Dream Valley, he went, why? And uh, mm. Agnes was, when she saw the show and she, you know, Got to Kansas City, she could do all that. Having the girls all dance in the beginning on Many New Day and all these kinds of things was fine. But she saw something in Lori's uh, situation. She saw something which was pretty strongly presented with Judd having a fixation on Laurie. And, you know, what kind of sickness was that? And how is Curly really going to handle it? And Curly doesn't get it until Curly walks into his shed. And then Curly goes, okay, we got a problem. We got a problem. Uh-huh. Other, you know, before that he was just an obnoxious in the way guy. But right. you know, okay, he's a sicko, and you know, I've got two old lady, an old lady and a young lady over here living next to them, and they need some help. So mm-hmm. this, all of this comes out. But she saw um, the confusion in Lori, a young, a young girl. So she created uh, an imaginary out of my dreams, supposedly about she and Curly. But in her dreams, as we all dream, our psychology pops in, and the strangest things come to the foreground in our dreams that. Why can I do that, mm-hmm. you know? And that's what she wanted to present. So she presented a what-if situation where uh, Judd wins. Mm. A, a woman's perspective on what if she loses? What if the situation gets out it? What if Curly can't save her? What if this guy wins, you know? And who are these dance hall girls? Are they, you know, the little devils that dance around? So she created this marvelous story which, initially the actors couldn't dance <laughs> sure. So they had to have a you know stand in. so it became the whole dream ballet became in her imagination and it was astounding. In all of her work she's consistent with taking something and then telling a story in the dance associated with the song but not necessarily about the song
2: about the song. Ooh, this is great. that is great. you
0: know and so um, that, that was another element.
2: I mean Agnes DeMille is so good at like clear and simple storytelling and she uses a lot of repetition to do it, a lot of ballet technique, and then also surprisingly emotional dance vocabularies. All of a sudden you'll see I'm not. Yes. I, I know we're like doing a, a visual medium right now. That's <laughs> not helpful for the listeners. But you, but you do some. You'll see the dancer do some gesture that doesn't that feels psychological to use your word. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it's a psychological manifestation of this emotional inner world, and um, and so it's so it's this really iconic combination of simplicity ballet, and then these surprising little pieces of vocabulary.
0: You know, as I was thinking about what we were going to talk about, to me, Vivian Madelon put together the acting, he put together the words, he directed the words, whether they were song or spoken. She directed the dance. For example... Uh, come to be me bend to me. Oh,
1: um, Freak uh, out. which
0: he comes in and, and sings this glorious thing and then she's saying, Leave, you know, go away. I have to come out. They mm-hmm. can't see me today. So he finally does leave and then the women come out and she comes out and she has her little moment and, and it's she's surrounded by her, you know, mm-hmm. her bridesmaids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're all around there and she's dancing within her. again it's a psychological expression of the fear of getting married. Um, you know, loving this man. Um, It's been a complicated thing because there was this other person who I kind of like. I don't hate him, but I don't love him. You know, so this is uh, her. All that story is, that's what Agnes did. She told a psychological story that wasn't in the play. Mm. And by the time she got to Brigadoon, she was trusted enough, I guess, or strong enough, (laughs) that she was able to take each one of these songs and then turn it around to a different story. So it wasn't him dancing with her about come to me bend to me or even him dancing alone he he gave i love you i can't wait to see you and why do i have to go away okay i'll go and then she comes out and dances dances well she dances her feelings as opposed to making it a duet with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere
2: dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom Hey, listeners, have you tried Factor yet? Remember Factor Meals? They were supposed to send me a box to try out, but they don't ship to Hawaii, so now I'm stuck with my Taco Bell. And now it's up to you. It's up to you to try it and let me know how it is because it's May and we can't eat like it's the holidays anymore. We're trying to get our summer bodies together and Factor's fresh Never Frozen Meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting food. You can choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, whatever you want, it's here. Head to factormeals.com slash musicaltheater50, that's Musical Theater with an E-R, and use code musicaltheater50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next Month. That's code musical theater fifty at com slash musical theater fifty to get fifty percent off your first box plus twenty percent off your next month while your subscription is active. This has already been so amazing. Now uh and we've already talked a lot about the plot, but let's actually go through the show and um and I'll just give people who may not know what Brigadoon is all about, we'll, we'll go through the bones of it. So the show begins with two characters, Tommy and Jeff, and they're lost. They're lost, they can't figure out where they are. Jeff's fine with it. He's like, are you kidding me? What a beautiful place to be lost in. And Tommy, I feel like it's uh, it's kind of triggering to him because he feels lost in his own life as well. And so like, this is just too much. I'm literally lost and also feeling lost. He's engaged to a woman back in New York um, by the way, we're in Scotland. I don't know if I mentioned mm-hmm. that. Good heavens, uh, Highlands! And as they're talking about this uh, this feeling of unrest that he has, they hear this music growing, this chorus singing uh, of Brigadoon, and slowly but surely, uh, uh, this town comes to life. And of course, we know that we've already discussed the magic of this town. Oh,
0: so, so I tell you, my J. Learner, are we there now? Yes,
2: please, yes, please, please. please. Okay,
0: so. <laughs> My question to Alan was, um, clearly, Tommy isn't assimilating in his life. He's unhappy. He's romantic. A lot of different descriptions for him, but something's not right. Jeff is on his way to being an alcoholic.
2: um, (laughs) He's well on his way.
0: Yes. And so they're buddies, you know, and uh, and they they take trips together. In the original, they were hunting, so they had guns. Mm. Uh, In in the revival, they're uh, hiking. So they had backpacks. Mm. So that was a big change. Wow. And that, But that worked. So it's in the once in the highlands, two weary hunters, two weary travelers lost the way. Mm. That's the intro. So, but I said, why are Jeff and Tommy friends? They're just so different. And he said, oh, well, this was 1947. And, uh, you know, World War II had only been over a couple of years. They were war buddies.
1: <gasps> wow. And they were coming
0: back. And like so many American young men, they, they were not able to assimilate. Yeah. Jeff is drinking to figure out his problems. Tommy is just kind of lost. He's engaged to a woman he doesn't really love, doesn't know. And all of a sudden, he meets this energy. And Fiona is not a shy young woman. She's a no. very strong young lady. And yeah. he just is kind of blown away. So the fact that they were vets, you know, whether or not they were in the same like, my brain had, had Tommy being lieutenant and Jeff being the sergeant. I mean, that's sort of where I saw their energies. So. Yeah. But when that was explained, uh, all of a sudden their bond became so. Which is that why Tommy unlocks
2: a piece, man, doesn't it?
0: Tommy can understand the alcoholism, and he's there for his friend. Uh, Jeff understands. They both get each other. And and as Learner, as Alan said, he's at the audience in nineteen forty-seven got that too. It's nowhere in the script. It's not there. Nowhere there. So if you have that inside information and you're doing it now, um, if you update it, you know it's okay. Kind of, you know, we we did update it to. 1980s so it was 1880 there was 1780 when it was happening and that's kind of yeah that changed like the american revolution had already happened for the first time it didn't so it changed a (laughs) lot of little things that people actually thought about it much but um but yeah so the relationship between the two men is totally understandable
2: that's huge i had never considered that and really makes it so timely much more timely than I thought because one of the hallmarks that I always think of with Lerner and Lowe is an element of magic where or transformation a good word. and so I just kind of maybe wrote it off a little bit as as just fantasy and living in another time but it is so intrinsically tied to the time in which it was written I when you look at it as being a post-war musical that's right. incredible.
0: and for us it was Vietnam so we had Vietnam going on so that worked well, I mean, yeah. the same kinds of things were, were in place.
2: I love this. I love this so much. They uh, were in the war together. You won't find that out in the script, people. And um, a, a beautiful opening number where we see the whole townsfolk and the, the economy of it, even. Everybody has their businesses. And I mean, if you could only live one day every 100 years, I, I think you would probably live with all of your heart. <laughs> so, <Could be. laughs> so so uh, these people are feel very excited to be alive to say the least
0: yes they're very they're very um grateful that yeah. they, they are alive because of what they went through um,
2: now i gotta say when i went through this preparing for the episode the themes that popped out to me and it may be because i've been spending so much time in hawaii is this idea <laughs> of gentrification and preserving a place from change. Here on Maui, there's so much talk about tourism for better or worse and what it's done in terms of colonialization and and hurting the original cultures and people of this island. And I don't know, when it, going through Brigadoon, that just felt very, uh, very singular, that here's this place that has Decided to protect itself completely from outside forces, and what are the consequences of it, good or bad?
0: Well, some of them, if I can jump in, um, consequences uh, for um, the young folk. Uh, for the first one you meet who has consequences is Fiona. There's no guy for her. Uh, so she's waiting for my dearie and happy am I to hold my heart till he comes strolling by. Well, the likelihood he's going to come strolling by is nil
2: 100. because of the
0: situation. <laughs> she And she knows everyone in town and none of them appeal to her. So mm-hmm. within this playfulness as she's singing to the other women uh, is, I'm going to be a spinster. It's probably okay. I would rather mm-hmm. that than um, marry someone who it, it ain't going to work. Yeah. She's fine. Her father is the mother's not around. We don't know what happens. The father, she's definitely taking care of her father. He's he's fun, but he, you know, he calls on her to do it. She's the older sister taking care of her younger sister, so she's kind of the, already in the role of nurturer, wife, mother, even without. Um, and so it's kind of interesting that that she sets that up. The second person uh, is Harry. Beaton. we meet him, um, and he's uh, he, his father is a. Taylor or whatever, you know, he didn't get to go to college. He's stuck working mm. for his dad. So the one who got to go to college is Charlie and Charlie's coming back, came back, you know, in time for the, um, for the miracle to happen. But Harry's got no life because of what happened to the miracle. He mm-hmm. can't marry the girl that he loves and he has no, no, future. Education, no future. no future, nothing. He can, we can't go to another town to try to pick up. So he's already caught and lost. Fiona's got it, got it. She's got it. She's okay. Mm-hmm. Harry's not okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and so you start seeing these stories kind of running around there. And, and of course so the many idea.
2: stories. I love yeah. how many characters there are. You have mentioned Harry. You've mentioned Charlie, who uh, went away, came back, is about to marry Bonnie Jean. He's very excited about it. And I mean, he's he's already lived quite a life. He's yep. been with a lot of people and he's ready to settle down. Compare that to Harry, who just has this unrequited love and nothing to show for it.
0: Right, right. And he's stuck. He's, there's nothing he can do. So um, there's all these, uh, yeah, people who have, for whom the uh, the miracle wasn't necessarily the best thing and how were they going to deal with this circumstance. So that's the question.
2: We've also got Meg, Meg Brockie, who mm-hmm. is, I, I liken her to an 80 Annie. She has yeah. her own I can't say no yeah, but um,
0: but she's a little further along than ADO. She doesn't. <laughs>
1: How
0: so, so, Meg? Uh, well, uh, and and it's I find that uh, you know as an older woman I find that very interesting because uh, someone has to take care of those needs in in many cultures mm. and in many cultures those women are uh, tolerated as mm. as is Meg. Mm. You know, she's not thrown away and you know uh, burned, burned at the, at the stake. stake. Uh huh. There, both of us had that same. Yeah. But, yeah. So um, and she's a bit of a joke, and again, there's nothing much left for her either, you know. So she's yeah. probably been around the block with them, and uh, she's been around so, the yeah. block
2: with the whole town, but everyone's grateful for it.
0: <laughs> they tolerate it. You they know, tolerate it. Uh, it that it, yeah, well, but, that is yeah. the better
2: one. That is yeah, better and, one.
0: but I think that that's it's an important, you know, where uh, I can't say no for Ado Annie is a joke. Yeah, I mean she's 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 a good girl, but she has her little her little imaginative stuff, and she flirts, but there's an end to the flirtation and of course will Parker's not going to let her do it anymore you know right, right. so uh, so there's a, a naivete in that one there's less naivete in, 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 uh, in but, men. That's but, true. but yet that's so she's true. you know it's not it's not pointed up to uh to, to get anyone upset but if you look at it that's what's going on.
2: That is one of the big differences that I would say in terms of writing style for Rogers and Hammerstein and Lerner and Lowe. Rodgers and Hammerstein are flirtatious. If I loved you, people will say we're in love. In Lerner and Low, you get right to it and say your deepest thoughts <laughs> and feelings right from the get go. In a in a really beautiful, interesting way, mind you. But
0: okay, so so Jeff, that's called a conditional love song, and that was something that. Rodgers and Hammerstein did brilliantly.
2: They did it so brilliantly. They did brilliantly.
0: it. And uh, um, Hammerstein did it on... Uh, in Showboat. Uh, he was in Showboat. Yeah. And so um, that's a way of telling the audience that the young people really are interested in each other, but they haven't figured out how to talk about it. Yeah. Heather on the Hill is another really interesting thing. Um, uh, uh, the Mist of May and The gloaming, and they're wandering around. And in most presentations... So take my hand and we'll go roam and through the Heather and the, the man and woman hold hands. And then they swing hands and they're already touching. Well, Vivian said, no, no, no. He said, the minute they touch, the story's over. Mm. So he made us find a way to do Heather on the Hill without touching. Wow. When Vivian was directing us in um, the scenes, he was coming at it as a director and he had not done musicals.
2: Mm. So there
0: was this kid, this man, does he understand what we're doing? Well, sure. he made us, he made us do it like. We directed that one scene before, Heather on the Hill. Uh we were uh, directed on that for like three hours. <laughs> there we go. And there's 22 lines. Okay, so, um, you know, but he took it as this is a scene. And so we did it like actors. What's our motivation? What are we doing? What's another way of doing it? What if she's really pissed? What if she doesn't like him? What if he doesn't like her? Why is he doing this? Does he think he can take her to bed tonight? Or is he just... Got to take her off her coffee. You know, so we've all of these and we do it in a variety of different ways. And we discovered so much. I bet. And by the time we were done with it, it was locked in. And mm. he did the same thing with, with the songs.
2: That's that's. And you play that within a, a thing was always difficult about musicals, which is you literally have five minutes to fall madly in love with someone. And in Brigadoon, it's much more literal because the town's about to disappear. So, <laughs> So tracking... That uh, that arc is uh, incredibly important in the show.
0: Yeah, I think he, he did. Um, I we didn't realize that at the time, but afterwards, um, we really appreciated all the work that was done on us because we were all very young.
2: Um, so I, I think we've talked about pretty much everybody. Um, so let's talk about who starts loving who: Tommy and Fiona, right? The flame, their flame is only fanned by the Heather on the hill. Which, by the way. I did Brigadoon in high school. I'm not saying it was a traumatic experience. I'm only saying that I realized this week that I have not listened to the music since <laughs> and my gosh, this score is so gorgeous. This music makes you cry just because it's beautiful. Yeah. It's astounding and it's a score filled with those moments. Waiting yeah. for my dearie is incredible. Heather on the Hill. Amazing. Come to me. Bend to me. I mean, you can just go on and on there. The, this music is just stunning.
0: And the, the other hold your thought, but the uh, yeah. uh, the atmosphere that was created and all the atmospheric things the, 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 um. there's a, a, a storm, the uh, the atmosphere, the mystery, the, the Celtic flavor. Um, uh,
2: it, it, it transports arts. you. Yes, absolutely. OK, back to the people. <laughs> um, Meg and Jeff have a little, little something, something. And then we of course have the love triangle between Bonnie Jean, Charlie Dalrymple, and Harry Beaton. The most of the first act is about this wedding day. The town has come back and it just so happens to be their wedding day. It happens. There's of course an incredible wedding dance generally called a sword dance very traditional, but also done within uh, the the realm of Agnes DeMille's work. What else happens in the first act that, that we should capitalize on? Well,
0: the um, the act break that we took was different than the original. The original act break takes you all the way through um, the end of the wedding.
2: Of the wedding, when, right.
0: W- yeah, when um, Harry gets up and says, I'm leaving Brigadoon, you know. So our act, and this had to do with Vivian's storytelling, um, he felt that the act break should be after um, uh, Come to Me, bend to Me, after almost like being loved. When Tommy finds the Bible and sees the dates, the, the groom-to-be has signed the the family Bible, and the dates are there, and there's mm. seven, you know. Uh, so he said, what is this? You know, we're in the 20, 20th century at the time, uh, and, and they're in, you know, this is 18, 1700? They're mm. in the 18th century. So this doesn't make sense. So then he talks to Fiona, and she said, we'll take you to our elder, we'll take you to, you know, and he
2: will explain I can explain So you can hear the explain. whole thing. So he, the,
0: he, that was the end of Act 1 for our revival. And then yeah, act I guess two, that
2: is kind of an important plot point that I completely went <laughs> That's over. That's okay. Is the, no, but like, I have taken for granted the, the the fact that this magical town just appears, that there might be a couple of people that don't understand what the crap is going on. So he's fallen in love with somebody and doesn't even realize that she's from the 1700s. Correct. And and, he, and this was the moment that you all decided. To, to yeah. take your, the intermission, which is, uh, that makes total sense. And then,
0: then Act Two starts with Mr. Lundy.
2: By the way, this is what's happening.
0: Yes, and then we go to the wedding, and then the wedding goes right into. You know, the so, chase. at the end of the
2: wedding, exactly, Harry Beaton, who of course Mr. Unrequited is so upset that he decides that he's going to leave Brigadoon. Now, the important one of the important things we learned from Mr. Lundy is that if anybody in the town leaves. Spell's broken, everybody dies. So Harry Bean has gone full annihilistic and has decided if I can't have Bonnie Jean, then literally everyone's gonna die. Yep. He's he's out. So now, Chasing, one of yeah. my favorite things, <laughs> one of my favorite tropes. Chasing, gorgeous underscoring, like you said. It reminds me a lot of the the Guinevere music when she's being taken to the stake. Uh, the Really gorgeous kind of ensemble singing. And Harry beat, and they're looking for him. They find him, all right, but unfortunately, he has fallen and hit his head. And uh, because and head. Jeff
0: has tricked him,
2: that now that is isn't that don't we find that out later, or is that
0: is it seen? Ah, well, in our version, I think it was seen. I think Ooh, it, it
2: was so dark. I think you're lit. right. I think you're right, though. I think we see it, but then Tommy finds out about it later
0: because Jeff tells him.
2: Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, can you help us understand why Jeff trips him or how that happens?
0: Because he's trying to stop him. He didn't intend to kill him. He just wanted to stop him, I mean, gotcha. according to the script. You know, sure. it, that's an awkward part of the script, but that's what happens. I just stuck my foot out and he fell and hit his head against a rock and anyway. died.
2: Shout out Brigadoon, not really based on <laughs> a pre-existing thing. So, like, a lot of originality here when it's debuting in 1947. Mm-hmm. Now, not only do, I mean, this is a, this is quite the day at Brigadoon. Not only do they have this amazing wedding, then they have an amazing funeral. Very sad. Of course, this town and is Maggie very And Maggie does very a close.
0: brilliant, brilliant uh, funeral
2: dance. Maggie, funeral dance. oh my gosh, we I, I forgot to introduce who Maggie was. Maggie is who is in love with Harry Bean, be, but because Harry is so in love with Bonnie Jean, Maggie's not getting any attention or love whatsoever.
0: And Maggie has no lines in, at all. All she does is dance.
2: She's like the, the Jean McCracken of Brigadoon. She, she does this morning beautiful dance. I, I might pull that and put it on social media because it's stunning. Mm. And then the time comes to figure out, okay, what are we going to do? Is Tommy going to stay in Brigadoon or does he need to go home to New York? And like you mentioned earlier with that, that scene and the song, Fiona's upset about it. As is he, but the reality is he needs to go home and tie up a few loose ends.
0: But going home means he can never come back.
2: Exactly. After 100 years, he's going to be dead. Yeah. They say goodbye. Brigadoon disappears. Tommy and Jeff go back to New York. And there's, a, there's this really fun scene. Well, I don't know if it's fun, but I think it's very clever. In that Jeff has like become full alcoholic because of the guilt that he has for having tripped Harry Beaton, and Tommy is with his fiancé, and everything that is being said in this little dinner scene, in this little date scene, every single word (laughs) that's being said reminds him of a song from Brigadoon. So you have these constant reprises happening every time he hears a word that reminds him of Heather on the Hill, or Go Home with Bonnie Jean, or one of one of these great songs that we've enjoyed. So obviously he is trying to be present in the moment, but keeps being pulled back to these thoughts and memories of finally feeling at home in his life in this magical town. So then what does he do? He travels back to Scotland.
0: Well, first he breaks it off with Jane.
2: True. Thank you. Tie up those loose ends, Tommy, like a good boy. Does Jane take it well? And is Jane a comedic role? Like, is she an Ernestine simple?
0: Yeah, she's just not meant to be his type. It's done okay. in a variety of different ways, but it's clear from the get-go that she's—he's the maybe the toy husband. He's really cute. He's really successful, and he—you mm. know—he would work well in the in the social aspect of her plans. Ooh, uh, gotcha. But I, yeah, I don't think she's evil or dumb. Um, right. But it's—it's it's just clear that it should be that she's not. What she's not as true love. Wants life. or needs. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. So once that's all finished. He goes back to Scotland. With Jeff. Now that's cool. Why do you think that is?
0: Because they're buddies and Jeff has to make sure that he knows. That's so cute. uh, And there also has to be a moment at the end of the show um, when Tommy leaves Jeff. Jeff looks back at Tommy. The end of the show, the only one left on stage is Jeff. Wow. And that's also saying something. So maybe Jeff is going to get himself together.
2: Yeah. That's promising. That's hopeful. Why I love musicals. They go back... I love i I love how quickly it, it comes together, but it is just the sweetest thing in the world, and so pure and earnest. The town comes back because of the love. What is greater than this miracle is this love that that he has so um, and and
0: the that's uh, it's pointed out <laughs> by the fact that Mr. Lundy comes out to meet, Tommy, hmm. and he says, You must love her very much. You woke me up. <laughs> You know, so and so, and then in, in our version, uh, Fiona does come down the stairs and extend her hand to him and go up together. In the original, that was too ricy. So it was oh. Mr. Lundy, Mr. Lundy took him off.
2: Really interesting. And, uh,
0: yeah. Oh in the movie, gosh. it's different too. the movie. She's there too. Yeah.
2: The movie, but, uh, There's that dramatic silhouette in the movie of Ced coming through that doorway. <laughs> It's yeah, very They dramatic. changed everything in the movie but They anyways. sure did. <laughs> I remember being in junior high and you know like when you had a a teacher gone they would they'd there'd be a substitute teacher but they'd put on a movie. And it <laughs> and it was, uh, I was in choir and the teacher was going to be gone. So we watched Brigadoon for two days with the substitute teacher. And bless this sub's heart. She thought she knew so much about old school musicals. And she was tell- trying to tell everybody that Gene Kelly was Sid Charisse. Now this is Sid. This is Sid. And me, Jeez. being the total nerd that I was, was just like fuming in my chair. Being like, that is not Sid <laughs>
0: Oh, that's wonderful story. Yeah. Hilarious. Oh.
2: Um, <laughs> anyway, so that's Brigadoon. That's Brigadoon. It's it's obviously a huge part of nineteen forties and nineteen fifties musical theater. I mean, they Schmigadoon just came out a, a year or so ago, which clearly has ties to to Brigadoon. Did you watch it?
0: I, I watched a couple of the, the episodes, and yeah. it, it's it's the, it's tied because. Uh, you know they, they have the, the interlopers. It's a a, a a guy and a girl through are yeah. going to find love instead of the two men. And they wander in and and it, and they start uh, the whole Brigadoon thing. But then they go to every single musical ever written. So it, it's exactly it's, at first I was I was I said oh I hope you know because it's so silly uh, and people who dislike musicals are why are they singing you know and yeah. then I was oh, people are going to just say this is a it. but it's so cleverly done and everyone who's singing is brilliant at it. They're all musical theater performers mostly. Yes. Of them. Yes. And, uh, it, it, and as it, it, it grew on me, and it's very funny, especially if you can recognize every single reference. All the, all the
2: references. It's so true. I think that uh, I always get really nervous when things like that come out because there's already so much that makes fun of the art form. I want something that celebrates the earnestness of it, like to be brave enough to be honest about musical theater is one of the more vulnerable things I think we can do uh, as humans in 2022. (laughs) And I think that it really did get to a a really sweet place where they were brave enough to do that.
0: Yeah, it was a lot of
2: fun. Yeah. Um, So a huge cultural footprint, a huge moment in figuring out what the future of musical theater was going to be and uh, continues to be. So I'm I'm really grateful for it. I'm really grateful for this episode because it has sparked something in me. And thank you for teaching us today, Meg.
0: It's a hard show to do because of the need of astounded dancers. Sure. And just before COVID, I was actually hired to do it and to play Mr. Lundy as Mrs. (gasps) Lundy. And uh, I did it at NYU in one of my last years. And it works. It works brilliantly because then I can be eccentric. Yeah. I mean, and that's what Lundy is. And then it makes Jeff a real jerk when he starts Saying those awful things like he does to Lindy, you know. Wow. And it, it, it's uh, yeah. Anyway, How they fun. We, we had to get permission for that, and it was granted. So it's it's kind of. I mean, every high school casts yeah, a woman as Lindy anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the only people they have to play it. So there you go. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's amazing. That's so. That's really sweet. I would love to see you direct it. Love Maybe one day. We'll see. I'll get yeah. a great choreography.
0: This was so much fun. That's thank true. you for inviting me because you're fun to talk to.
2: Oh, thank you, Meg. I really appreciate yeah. that as always if you have recommendations for shows you'd like us to cover on a musical theater podcast you can always email me at amusicalpodcast at gmail.com don't forget to follow us on social media on instagram and twitter at a musical podcast we're also on TikTok. we have patreon exclamation point where for only one dollar a month you can support the show and receive bonus content we also have a tea Public store where any of our profits are going to Broadway Cares, Equity Fights, AIDS. You guys, thank you so much for listening. You know how grateful I am for this podcast community. You're the best. Share us with your friends. Hey, Meg Bussert, what's new for you? What, what do you want to plug?
0: Well, uh, uh, Charles Kirsch has put it together an evening of... Um Folks in the who did a lot of Broadway seventies, eighties, and nineties mostly.
2: Oh my gosh, this lineup is insane! Ten in of us
0: that have done Broadway shows, and we'll all be doing a song. Some uh, will do songs they introduced. Um, I'm going to do something I introduced on a recording. Um, yes. From uh, a Phantom, Maurice and Arthur Copet Phantom. I'm going to do the Evil Diva, Carlotta's numbers. You were
2: La Carlotta on the album. Yes.
0: So I, I, I'm going to do a version of that, and uh, it'll it'll be a fun evening. And I'm putting together a couple little things. I'm still coming out of COVID nonsense, and uh, mm. yeah, lost a lot of stuff as everyone else did. But I'm very excited about um, some workshops that I'm presenting. Uh, some are on that, uh, you know, Shakespeare and the musical. I like oh, that. Exciting, kind of, don't you? Shakespeare and the musical. Uh, yeah. And um, yeah, so we'll we'll see. But uh,
2: incredible, incredible. You are a talent and uh, and a true ambassador for the art form and I'm so grateful you were here thank you
0: thank you
2: everybody out there thank you so much for listening and go listen to Brigadoon do it there's a lot of recordings have fun bye